Welcome to another episode of Close Talking. I am one of your co-hosts, Jack Rossiter-Munley. And I'm the other co-host, Connor McNamara Shred. On today's episode, we've got a great poem for you by Maggie Smith. No, not the actress, the poet. Uh, It is called... I know. Mr. Potter! What are you doing? You'll never be late to my class again. Uh, I love Maggie Smith. She's the she best. perfectly cast in that role. And is the Dowager Countess, I understand, though I've not seen Downton Abbey. I um, haven't either. It's got Maggie Smith in it, so I'm like, I'm down to believe that she was perfect in it. Yeah. Anyway, not written by Minerva McGonagall. Uh, this poem is written by Maggie Smith, who has written three books of poetry. She's won awards for her chapbooks. Her poems show up in all kinds of different places. New York Times, Paris Review of Books, Best American Poetry. She's real good. And people have noticed. So this is a poem of hers called Where Honey Comes From. Where Honey Comes From by Maggie Smith. When my daughter drizzles gold on her breakfast toast, I remind her she's seen the bee men in our tree, casting smoke like a spell until the swarm thrums itself to sleep. She's seen them wipe the air clean with smoke, the way a hand smudges chalk from a slate erasing danger, written there as if smoke revises the story of the air until each page reads, never fear, never fear. Honey is in the hive, forbidden lantern lit on the inside, where it must be dark, where it must always be. Honey is sweetness and fear. I think the bees have learned to embroider, to stitch the sky with warnings untouched by smoke. Buzzing is the sound of bees perforating the air, as if pulling thread through, over, and over, though the thread, too, is air. It's real. It's really real. What do you got, Connor? Oh, my God, what do I got? Well, all right. I mean, this is a great poem. To me, all right, this is like maybe a weird way to start, but I'm thinking about it in terms of it just like, to me, it encapsulates all the qualities of, I'm about to say the word traditional contemporary poetry, which seems like a weird thing to say, because that doesn't sort of make sense. But there's like common moves, I think, in contemporary poetry that also have their lineage, of course, in uh, the older stuff. but that this seems to do a lot of them really well. Anyway, so what am I talking about? So for one, uh, this is just like a, this is the thing I do too. There's like a small narrative moment that then serves as the occasion to have a bigger idea, basically. So we have the narrative moment when my daughter drizzles gold on her breakfast toast. A reminder, she's seen the bee men in our tree. But the bee men are like extinguishing the bee, right? From like the hot, yeah. And so there's like a very small moment. And then by the end, the bees have turned into a larger uh, metaphor. I think it can even be as simple as the daughter drizzling the honey that set it all off. I mean, it does immediately get linked to the reminder that, you know, oh, remember when this other bee-related incident happened in our lives? Uh, Honey's pretty cool and also bees and stuff. But just the act of the daughter putting honey on toast, I can see it almost cinematically you see her and 
the golden honey falls in the sunlight and it lands on this perfectly toasted piece of bread and all of a sudden smash cut to all of this other stuff going on. Exactly. The narrative moment is perfect for that reason because it's it provides the occasion for a complex metaphor because it is something that has two very different associations. Essentially, the line, honey is sweetness and fear. So we have the wonderful taste of honey, blah, 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 but we also have bees are scary and need to be destroyed, sort of. Although it's interesting, like, anyway, I couldn't help thinking about how all the bees are dying and that's really sad, but that was not specifically in the poem. But it becomes an effective metaphor sort of in our minds, I think, because it takes two associations that we that are common, but aren't often considered together. And so the fact that they are reasonably should be considered together because it's bees makes the larger connection about sweetness and fear more potent. Definitely. And I think there's also a connection between uh, safety and danger that goes along with it. I think part of what puts me there is that it's a mother and daughter and this moment of the honey on the toast is this really sweet moment between the two of them that, you know, if I'm imagining it, the only way I imagine that is that they're like in a warmly lit kitchen. The two of them are just connecting over this conversation. There's a tree outside the window with a bee's nest in it. So it's got this sort of pastoral feeling to it. The house is not in the middle of a grubby city. It's got trees outside of it. Like it's at the very least in a suburb, if not, outright in the country, like that scene just radiates safety. The title of the poem is about the hive, which is the most dangerous place. And the very existence of the hive is so dangerous that they had to call these people in to deal with it. And so this combination of the intense safety of the scene based around honey pouring and the intense danger of the hive connected to me with the idea of this being a mother and daughter, and there's an inherent safety and danger in childhood where you wanna provide your child with safety, you're concerned about them going out and doing things, and there's a lot of dangers in the world that they could run into, but the fact that they have to go out and engage with what you as a parent perceive as dangerous, in fact, leads to the sweetness of their growth as a person, the sweetness of their taking on these experiences. So the same way there's the sweetness of honey and the danger of the hive, there's the sweetness of experience in what from the parent's point of view is the child interacting with a world where there are dangers. And I think that idea of pairing sweetness and fear along with safety and danger was really interesting to me in this in this poem. The other part that's interesting is the the safety sort of manifests from the the bee men casting their smoke. So the smoke is the evidence that the swarm has been quelled or um, drummed to sleep. And smoke has, to me, two main connotative meanings. One is actually danger, and the other is sort of illusion. So, And so the fact that the poem is saying she's seen them wipe the air clean with smoke, the way a hand smudges chalk from a slate, smoke revising the story of the air until each page reads never fear, never fear, is, yeah, is a very... Um, unconventional use of smoke, which I like 
a lot. And, and then I like it even more when the end comes and she really like gets at the air part of everything. And so she says, I think the bees have learned to embroider, to stitch the sky with warnings untouched by smoke. Buzzing is the sound of bees perforating the air as if pulling thread through over and over, though the thread too is air. And so there's a difference between smoke and air, and then there's this thread. The bees are sort of this ubiquitous embroidering menace everywhere in the air with their sounds. And that, yeah, that's very striking because it, in connecting to your point about this being like a mother-daughter type situation, there's that ever-presentness of danger, maybe, as a, as a parent, although everything is air. Obviously, really horrible, dangerous things happen, but, but even when they're not, there's that threat that's everywhere, that the bees are threading, perforating. Yeah, I loved that description of the perforating. And as you point out, sort of the inversion of smoke, which usually signals danger, but here signals safety. There's the double inversion because for the bees, the smoke is dangerous and their safety is in the hive, which is what's dangerous to us. And so it's from the two perspectives, everything is inverted and it's still dealing with these two concepts of danger and safety. But anyway, with the perforating to me, and I don't know if this is what she's describing poetically, but it sounded to me like a very poetic description of how bees relay information to each other because they will go to flowers, return to the hive, and then the bee that discovered the flower will do a dance that tells the other bees how to go get the pollen from that group of flowers to bring back, which obviously then becomes honey. But the thread that they follow, what they've perforated the air with in that description to their fellow hive mates is a thread of air. We can't see the secret pathways of bees, but they can. They can understand how to get from their hive to wherever the flowers they need pollen from to make honey are. And if we could visualize these lines, they would be these sort of crazy zigzag stitches all across the sky. They would be these omnipresent bee routes, but we can't see them, the threads to our air. I'm glad you know about bees because that <laughs> really limited my uh, reading of the poem. I was like, well, bees and honey, bees and honey. Well, that's an that. interesting question actually, because there's plenty of poems that sort of lay their lot on a level of assumed knowledge in the reader, whether it's of certain cultural touchstones or in this case on some like natural world knowledge. How did the poem work for you as somebody who doesn't necessarily know a ton about bees? Was it effective or did it leave you wanting more? Well, that reading I didn't have, so I had other readings. With your reading, it's easier to have the poem end like more from the bees perspective, because that's like something that they're doing. Whereas for me, I was focusing on buzzing as a warning to us kind of thing. At the same time, there's a beauty to the thread. And so that was something that I was focusing on. And then I just was like wondering about perforating as a choice of word. It was very, that was, I mean, the sounds make sense so it's got the P, which gets into pulling, and there's the perf the R's, there's lots of R's at the end, perforating the air thread over through air again. At the same time, I was thinking about perforated paper. The connection with paper did 
make a nice connection with the above part as if smoke revises the story of the air until each page reads never fear never fear that the air is in fact a book of pages that tells a particular story to us and to the bees and the the bees as our human smoke is participating in revising the story the bees per perforation is participating in their own telling of the story and so the air becomes like a contested story space i like that a lot i think that's probably closer to the intended reading than than what i'm bringing but i like that a lot and i also like when she describes the smoke revises the story of the air until each page reads never fear never fear that sounds to me like something out of a kid's book and particularly in the context of a mother and daughter at the table we don't really know how old this girl is but based on the tone of the conversation and the fact that she's having toast and honey for breakfast and that the people who do this are referred to as the bee men i assume she's no more than like eight maybe in my head she's between five and eight however accurate that is and the idea of the revision of the story is almost something that the mother is telling the daughter about this time that the bee men came and they wrote a new story saying never fear never fear it, it really resonated for me as another level of the sort of mother daughter part of the poem yeah that makes a lot of sense and i like that you bring up using the bee man as a clue to the age of the daughter because it's if she was older it would be like an exterminator or something i think we're also clued to it because it begins she's seen them wipe the air clean with smoke the way a hand smudges chalk from a slate and that's school imagery whether it's chalk on a chalkboard or chalk on like an old-timey chalk on a slate kind of thing that definitely also clued me to her age being younger I feel uncomfortable saying this, but this is what I'm thinking. But back to the traditional contemporary vibe, the rhythm, the way that the poem works formally, every line is around the same length. There's basically four stresses per line, sometimes three, sometimes five. But for example, the swarm thrums itself to sleep. She's seen them wipe the air clean with smoke the way a hand smudges chalk from a slate, erasing danger. And that seems to be the consistent thing that is revolved around. So it's a very consistent line length, but it's in a kind of what I might, well, this is what I'm gonna call sensuous free verse. There's no formal rhyme scheme, but the, the sounds are, it's a dense thicket, but it's a thicket just like to, I almost just wanna to say to sound good, so my daughter drizzles gold. There's the D sounds really heavy in the beginning. Um, the swarm thrums. There's the, the R and the M sound. And the stresses are crunched. Erasing danger has the A assonance with the R sound too. Honey is in the hive. There's the H's. And then forbidden lantern lit on the inside forbidden lantern is just a sonic phrase gold mine with the is and the r's and then the lit on the inside has that if from forbidden still forbidden um, lantern also just like as a poetic name for a beehive is pretty cool yeah i mean that's a great that's a great way to think about it there's also a smoke like a spell smoke like a spell on. until there's the l and there's at the end Honey occurs two times at the end of the line, adds the beginning of its own sentence, and then air 
ends the third to last line and the last line. And there's embroider at the end of the line. So, and the, those last two, like as if pulling thread through over and over, though the thread too is air is so dense it's hard to actually say the second to last it's a line. tongue twister i the first time i read the poem i even just reading it without reading it aloud i had to look carefully at thread through the which one was which which i think is beautiful and it makes sense that it forces you to slow down because you're at the end and you're you're being careful and delicate with your thread shall Let's we see. read it again i think we should read it again all right, Where Honey Comes From by Maggie Smith. When my daughter drizzles gold on her breakfast toast, I remind her she's seen the bee men in our tree, casting smoke like a spell until the swarm thrums itself to sleep. She's seen them wipe the air clean with smoke, the way a hand smudges chalk from a slate, erasing danger written there, as if smoke revises the story of the air until each page reads, never fear, never fear. Honey is in the hive, forbidden lantern, lit on the inside, where it must be dark, where it must always be. Honey is sweetness and fear. I think the bees have learned to embroider, to stitch the sky with warnings untouched by smoke. Buzzing is the sound of bees perforating the air as if pulling thread through over and over, though the thread, too, is air. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this, please rate us on iTunes. You can keep up with our news and other poetry and book-related news on facebook.com slash close talking or twitter at close talking. You can keep up with me at Hot Sauce Boxed and Jack at Jack Rossiter Munn. If you have another reading of one of the poems we've discussed or think we got something totally wrong, please let us know and shoot us an email at close talking poetry at gmail.com. <laughs>